How much eggnog could you chug if I gave you 20 bucks? Not as much eggnog as I could chug maple syrup. Have you done that? Of course I have. I'm talking about shots of maple syrup get you going in the morning. Favorite restaurant in Burlington is? Oh, I don't go to Burlington. That's like the credo of Waterbury Sports and Power Play Sports. I don't go to Burlington. Burlington doesn't <laughs> exist over there. I mean, don't get me wrong, Alex. Chittenden County is really nice, and it's very close to Vermont, but not for me. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Ready for a good time? Alex Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 62. You might know Caleb Magoon as the owner of Power Play Sports in Morrisville or one of the owners of Waterbury Sports in, yeah, Waterbury. And yeah, that guy knows how to stay busy. He also hates pennies. making it my goal to spend less of your time introducing episodes, so Wintry Mix is locals and visitors, half skiing, half not skiing. My email is alex at wintrymixcast.com. The pod voicemail is 802-560-5003. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts help, and I'll owe you a beer in the wild. And if you'd like to graduate from Freeloader, visit patreon.com slash wintrymixcast to toss me a dollar that will get donated locally and help the pod keep chugging along. Stand by for the goods. The Wintry Mix podcast is supported by the town and country in Stowe. I have kids which means I'm always looking for the best place to operate ski with my kids. And it's hands down town and country. Huge family room right next to the bar. All the games are free. You simply have to see it to believe it. Yes, you can enjoy Opry without your kids driving you nuts. Did I mention the prices? You're going to like them. I'll see you at the town and country. Restaurant parking is out in the back. Are you thinking lodging? You can park right next to your renovated room. None of this valet can't get anything out of your car junk ever again. Follow them on Instagram or Facebook at Town and Country Stowe. But just go. It's worth it. of Hyde Park, Vermont. What's new in Hyde Park? What isn't new? The booming metropolis of Hyde Park. Uh, Rail Trail just went in. That's exciting. Just went through Hyde Park. Everybody loves that. It's been getting wider, right? East to west? Started in the middle, started at both ends, and then now they're filling in the middle. And we got you down here in Waterbury Center, so I assume were you in the shop in Waterbury today? I was today? in Waterbury. I split my time between both, as you know. Yes. Yeah. 
So let's help everybody else know. When you meet somebody on the street and they say, what do you do for a living? Go ahead and answer it. Oh, man, that's a tough one. <laughs> if only it were easy. I own two retail sporting goods stores is the, the first and foremost. I'm a little bit of a serial entrepreneur, so I'm always sort of looking for that next venture, that next thing I can go after. Um, yeah, so that's that's more or less it. But <clears throat> I mean, I've got my businesses, and then I also have sort of what I, what else I do, which is just steward of the world, community member, try and do what you can for you know this area of Vermont. Do what you can for Vermont. So before we get into it, I know you as the guy who owns in full or in part power play sports and Waterbury sports, but you're leading me down that there's all these other things that we'll find down the path. As you're aware, there's this weird demographic thing in Vermont where there's almost no people between their early twenties and their early thirties. Uh, there's just very few. So when you, when you move to Vermont and you're in Vermont, there's this hunger for young energy. There's all these older folks. So as soon as you, uh, as soon as you put out there that you're interested in being involved in community, being involved in the world in a, in a larger way, uh, people just start grabbing at you. So it's like if you get on one like little community board, suddenly it's two, suddenly it's three, and then before you know it, you get asked every week, hey, you want to be on this board? And it's because people know you're engaged and interested. And you get on these boards where uh, they're predominantly older people and everybody wants a piece of that. And everybody, everybody wants to get that young voice involved um, because they're just not as present as they should be in Vermont because of the way the demographics are here. So I've been roped into a lot of stuff like that. And when you're when you have businesses that are sort of, anchor businesses in your downtown the way both of mine are um you have a you have a voice you you talk to a lot of people you have a lot of opinions coming into you so people come to respect uh who you are as a business person who you are as a community person and uh it gets really fun because people just want to talk to you and i like to talk so you've said yes to how many of these sorts of requests you're on how many boards oh well right now i'm only on a few so I had a little booming baby boy back in January, so a little less than a year ago. He's 10 months old. And in the year prior to that, I I, I might have topped out at like six community and statewide boards combined. Now I think I have, I'm on one county board, I'm on one statewide board, and that might be it actually. I might be down to two, which is great. But I also have bigger roles in both those boards, so they take up more time. So what kind of problems are they solving? What are you working on? It just so happens that I'm the chair of the County Planning Commission in Lamoille County. So a lot of the stuff that the state does, uh, you know, like clean water, energy, renewable energy, all that, we're trying to help the state. We're sort of the liaison between the state and the towns. So if your town wants to have you know, energy planning is one of the big things we do right now. So wind is super controversial around here. Some people want it. Some people don't. People are very protective of their ridge lines. So you as a town, you know, one of the projects we're working on right now is helping you plan your energy future um, so that the state can't come in or a private development, a private developer cannot come in and say, we're going to put a, a wind tower on your ridge line and you don't get a say in the matter. So we're helping empower those people and give their voice stronger weight. County seat of Lamoille. Is that Hyde Park or is it Morrisville? Uh, What's the it's technical? technically, so it's Hyde Park. So early 1900s, give you a little history lesson here. 
early 1900s, there was a big building boom, and people were, Hyde Park and, and uh, Morseville were the two big towns, and they're just going at each other like crazy, trying to figure out who was going to be the county seat. Actually, this might have been the late 1800s, and there was literally like a building race to see who would win, because at the time, when they were figuring out the county seats, it was... I don't know if it was done by population or housing number of houses or something like that, but there was this big boom to try and figure it out. So, uh, so it ended up being Hyde Park, even though it's a small town because most of the town was bypassed by Route 15 and it turned into a very sleepy little town, but it's, it's awesome. So are you on the historical society as well with that little anecdote? Well, okay. So claim to fame, one of my claim to fames is I was the town of Hyde Park's last paper boy. So this goes back to the 1990s, right? You were right? distributing what? The Burlington Free Press. Okay. Oh, this isn't the first business I owned. The first business I owned was uh, my mom and me and my brother picking blackberries and selling them in front of the, the little village market in Hyde Park. The second business was selling papers because you actually bill people out. Uh, you buy the papers from the paper company and you bill them out. But uh, when I was like 14, the paper company calls me up. So Burlington Free Press calls me up and they're like, yeah, we've been informed that we're in violation of child labor law because you can't be up before 6 a.m., which I thought was the most ludicrous and asinine thing. So it must have been a business crusher for them statewide. They must have had a good number of folks your age. They did. And they also had people that do rule delivery with like a car. So I don't know that they really lost big in it. But who lost really was the young people who didn't have those jobs. So now the only reason you can have somebody up at that hour is if it's a family business or agricultural business. Um, but, uh, but yeah, big, big government came in and uh, took my job away when I was 14. So that wasn't your first job, but it was your first interlude with whether it was government overreach or not government in your life. Sure. Yeah. Being told that you can't have this job for a reason that did not seem relevant because I was a super responsible kid. I worked 365, man. And if I wanted to go on vacation, I had to train my buddy and pay him to do my paper for me. Right, because there's no day off. The paper comes every day. Yeah, you want to talk about responsibility. I had days where I was getting out on snowshoes and cross-country skis because there's two feet of snow on the ground. How else do you do it? I'm like trampsing around the village at 5.30 in the morning with a big paper bag on my on my shoulder. So is that a born and raised Hyde Park story that we got here? Uh, Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. All right, before I ask my next question, I'm going to let the dog in. <clears throat> yeah, you should do that. I should do that. What's his name? Cappy. Cappy. <laughs> well, the reason Cappy is wearing a T-shirt right now yeah. is because he just went to the vet because he had a little growth in his armpit. Mm-hmm. But I say had a growth. He actually ate it. Ooh. So he doesn't have it anymore, but it might be like kind of infected. So he's on antibiotics. He ate the so growth. So you're keeping him had. from eating it more, right? Or digging at it? Yeah, just digging at it. So instead of putting on the cone of shame, we put a t-shirt on him. (laughs) Much more handsome. I mean, he's a little embarrassed, but it's not as bad. Yeah, he did seem embarrassed when I pulled in. That's kind of my thought. But you were about to go into something. This is is a funny anecdote. Very Vermonty of us, right? So my family. So now I'll get into the real shit, right? So my family. So this is sort of a thing I, I don't like about Vermont, right? So old Vermonters, whenever you meet them. Uh, they always want to break out the measuring stick. And the question is, how long's your family been in Vermont? And it's a very big point of pride thing. And it sort of is a little obnoxious to people who are transplants here because there's always an air of arrogance about it. Um, and uh, But I sort of enjoy it because I like putting them into their place because I almost always beat them. 
<laughs> because your number is? I'm an eighth generation Vermonter. Damn. Yeah, old school. So pre-revolution, it's a point of pride, but it's also sort of like, well, we didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> we just stayed here. So you weren't always in Vermont. You did go away and... Uh, I went to Boston University right out of high school. And I pretty much, as soon as I went to college, I started doing freelance work outside of... And that's why I say it wasn't sort of separated from... Uh, from my business life, it was my business life. And actually the business knowledge that I had gained along the way ended up being really huge in developing a freelance career. So I basically go to college to be a predominantly a lighting designer, but I get a degree in design knowing how to do a, you know, knowing how to do lighting design, sound design, scene design, etc. And that's what I start doing right out of college. Even before I leave college, I'm assisting people. I'm traveling all over the place. I worked in, I worked in, I studied abroad and worked in London. I was working in New York and Florida. And I, I just did all these gigs. I was doing, you know, hundreds of gigs a year, literally. Um, one of my claims to fame when I was in Boston is I was like one of the predominant Celtic music lighting designers. Don't ask me how, but that's just where I ended up. That's the niche. And uh, yeah, you find a niche and you go with it. And I did that for, gosh, I did that for like five years after college. So this is what year? Started in 2007 and then went till about 2010. And the, that 2010, the end of 2010 is when I moved back to Vermont. The whole thing with theater was, you know, I'm doing like tons and tons of gigs. I'm working myself like crazy. You know, I'd ha I'd be doing two or three shows at once. And the problem with art like that and art to make a living is that you end up doing a lot of either mediocre or not great art to pay the bills. You know, it's a classic story. And I was able to do with my friends art that was awesome, but that wasn't paying the bills at all. I sort of got to a point where I started, you know, sort of hitting that quarter life crisis. I'm in my late 20s. What am I doing with myself? What do I want to do? And I really started looking at my life and thinking, well, I don't know that I want to live in a city. And I love doing art, but it's not really what I want to pursue for money. And it's also not a career that's conducive to having a family. So you start looking at, you know, doing that assessment and figuring out what you want to do. And I really didn't know what I want to do. And uh, I did a brief stint as an insurance salesman, did some phone sales for a while. I sold radio ads at one point. It was brief. I know. <laughs> How long did you last? Three months. Yeah. That's, I, I did about four. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was, that was absolutely soulless <laughs> and just crushing, as I'm sure you know. And, uh, and I started looking around and figuring things out and you know, and it was the classic, I broke up with my girlfriend and I was like changing careers. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, but I came back, uh, one, uh, one weekend I was hanging out with my folks and I went to, uh, the guy who owned power play sports, who, who founded it. And his other business was that he owned a big sugar bush. Uh, it was like a spring day. It was beautiful out. I went up and uh, I went out and just walked the walked the sap lines with him, 
And uh, his story is so cliche, by the way. Yeah, no, I, I, I like where it's going. <laughs> yeah. So I like walk the sap lines with him and we're like talking about it. And I'm like, I'm like just getting away from the girlfriend who I'm, you know, who I'm separating with. And, and, you know, I'm up here to like work on my resume, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up just out on this day of walking the sap lines with him and just talking to him because he was just always a mentor of mine. He was just one of those guys that, you know, I learned a lot of my business, you know, what I know about business from him and. We ended up talking a bunch and he's like, you know, it's funny that you're mentioning this because my manager just got a, a really good job offer that I think he's going to take. So uh, one of the one of the companies that's uh, been stealing our talent for the, you know, 20 plus years that PowerPlay has been open is uh, Concept2. It's a fantastic employer in the area. Anyway, so this, his manager was going to that and he Rob had been splitting his time between his sugar bush, his sugaring business and and the store. And he didn't really want to go back to the store full time. He just had, you know, done 15 years in retail and was just ready for the next chapter of his life. And uh, so he was like, any interest in coming back? And I was like, I would love to be back in Vermont. I miss riding bikes. I miss, you know, skiing all the time. And it's just hard to have those opportunities when you're in the city. Uh, And it started, you know, like a sort of a four month journey of, us talking, me looking at the financials, me talking to locals about, you know, the business climate around here. And, you know, it was just a a whole lot of things that uh, eventually uh, ended up in me coming back to Vermont, um, working with him for about a year before I bought the business in 2011. And then you spend four or five years just focused on that, or how long? Three years just focused on that before you expand the footprint? Not really. <laughs> I spent like two years building the business, reinvesting in it, putting a long in a lot of energy into it. And, you know, following the economic downturn, 07, 08, you know, I'm coming in at the heels of that. The business is on like a, you know, is on like a 2% a year decline. So it has this really good framework. The structure is really good. It just needs new energy. It needs new life in it. And I hadn't had that in a little while. So it's on this, you know, it's it's profitable. It's The foundation is solid. It just needs new energy. And we start, you know, boom, we put new energy into it. I hire a new guy to help me out. And you see instant returns. I mean, it was just, it, it took off really, really quickly. And it had been in the same location for more than a decade. And it became really, really evident that we were going to need to move. So... Probably after we'd been open for about two years, I went out and bought out one of my competitors who also had a screen printing and embroidery business. So I acquired that business, rolled it into mine, put it into a building next to mine, and then start working on acquiring a new building, um, which we weren't able to buy, um, but we worked on finding a new building. So then in, you know, I guess it, I don't even remember what year it had to have been, but it had to have been like 2014, 2015. Yeah, so in 2014, I've owned the I've owned PowerPlay for three years, and I'm working on build. I'm working on getting a new building. Well, as crazy as this sounds, I sold this idea to myself that it would be easier to both move that business and start the new business at the same time. I don't know why. Somehow you rationalized that. Somehow I rationalized it. Well, it was about scaling, right? Yeah. Scaling all at once. So one of the thing, one of the hats I was wearing at the time was that um, all the down, a lot of the downtowns in Vermont, especially the designated downtowns, have these boards on them that are um, 
that are downtown boards, right? Working on revitalization in the downtowns, etc. So I end up being the chairperson, the chairperson of Morseville's downtown board, right? It's called MAC, uh, Morseville Alliance for Commerce and Culture. So I start working on this board and you know, you're meeting with other people that are the heads of the downtown. And of course, I have this thriving business that's doing really, really well in our downtown, sort of closest thing we have to an anchor tenant in Morrisville's downtown. And I get all these other heads of downtown that are like, oh man, we'd love to have a business like that in our downtown. You know, like everybody's always looking for more retail. The one that really piqued my interest was the woman who was working as the head of the downtown organization in Waterbury, revitalizing Waterbury at the time. This woman named Fauna Hurley. She gets, she gets all uh, like, you know, she's one of the many people who says that. But I actually know Waterbury. Waterbury's right around the corner. And I start thinking to myself, this is an interesting idea. So I start, you know, rolling it around. I start talking to people. And then, you know, within six months, I'm sort of off and rolling, talking to the right people, um, whom I later found out there was a guy doing economic development in Waterbury. And he was literally trying to recruit a sporting goods store because he saw the potential. He's like, there used to be a bike shop here. You know, there used to be a sporting goods store here. We think this will really work here. So he had a space and he was recruiting, trying to recruit Ungern River Sports. He was trying to recruit OGX, but those guys were having, you know, both their growth and their trials and tribulations at the same time. So they had their hands full with other stuff. So they weren't in a mind to ex- expand, but I was. So the town was literally just putting out feelers to people who were doing it in the region already. Yeah, correct. But they weren't thinking about me because I was the small guy on the block, right? They were going for the big dogs. But because I was small, I was limber. And I was motivated. You know, a lot of the folks that own these businesses are a lot older. I'm a lot younger. Um, You know, most people, when I moved to Vermont and bought the business, you know, were surprised that a guy in his late 20s was owning a store like this. So anyway, so I then had to go find business partners. So I start sort of doing the networking thing, talking to people I know, blah, 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 you know. And uh, I came up with this guy, Chuck, uh, who was just getting done at Burton as a as a an assistant manager at the flagship store. And then he brought on his buddy, Ryan, who had just moved to the area and had been a manager at like a huge bike shop in uh, Washington, D.C. area. So the second store came together very different from the first. Yeah. The first was a handoff from somebody you worked for about a decade earlier in the sugar bush. Yeah. That took about a year of working together with him and then you're off and running. But then it's time to grow and, hey, let's open a new store simultaneous to that. Yeah. A couple years later. Um, so now it's today and you've got two stores that are similar, but they're not the same. Yeah. They're not the same. At Why all. are you, you know, doing consignment and used gear in Morrisville, but not Waterbury, just available space or other reasons? There's a, well, there's a couple of reasons. So the, the business model originally started in Morrisville, partly out of need, right? That area of Vermont's not super wealthy. So that was part of the original mission of PowerPlay was like, look, we want to do this buy, sell, trade, consignment thing. Um, nobody else is doing it in the area. It really opens up options for people in the community. And that's what it really started as. You know, and I believed in the mission. When I bought the business, I believed in the mission. And I think nowadays when you look at uh, sporting goods stores, you know, in the face of online sales and all the options out there, you have to survive by being an integral part of your community that people can't see being without you. Um, and part of that is offering something that they can't offer online. And that's something we do offer is the buy, sell, trade aspect. 
when we when we opened Waterbury, we strongly considered it, and we nearly did it. And initially, it was a a space constraint. But then the business model sort of quickly morphed. So one of the interesting things about Morseville is that we, you know, power play in Morseville draws from a big geographic area, but much less affluent area and also a much more rural area than Waterbury uh, pulls from. So we have just a, a different customer base, but Morseville is also sort of the big local town and Morseville actually has a lot of retail in it. So you know, I've tried like all these things over the years, like, uh, you know, like getting shoes in the store. Like I don't sell shoes. I focus on sporting hard goods. And it's because, you know, old Vermonters are like stuck in their ways. They're like, oh, I get my shoes from Bill around the corner, you know, and, and you're like, oh, man, I'm trying to sell shoes here. And you just can't because, oh, man, I've gotten my shoes from Bill since forever, you know, or, or you know, Kaplan's across the street. You know, that's just who I get, who I do my business with. And, you know, they sort of have their person. So there's so much more retail. So it's been really hard for me to sort of get out of my lane in, in big ways. I've been able to expand and change what I do in little ways, but not big ways. So for Waterbury, you know, one of the defining features of Waterbury is that this is a restaurant town. This is a restaurant and beer town. So they needed retail really badly, but it opened a door for us to be much broader than what power play is. But the sacrifice was that we couldn't do used gear. So it's like you duplicate the same model or you become something different that also sells winter boots and running shoes and running apparel or workout apparel, etc., which was what we opted to do instead of using that space to do used gear. So wider inventory of new gear, but yes. minus the consignment. <clears throat> Correct. But they're both you know, surrounded in these regions of ski shops, but yeah. these are sporting goods stores that also have skis. How do you kind of decide what you're going to stock, what you're not going to stock when you're kind of juggling that ski shop, bike shop, sporting goods game with a lot of different things you could carry? Probably the most defining thing that Waterbury took from the power play model is the ski lease business and the ski rental business, right? Which a lot of the, a lot of the ski shops have tried to do, but not as successfully. And we've been able to do it really, really successfully at power play because we sort of got out ahead of it. it. We were in it way before a lot of the other ski shops were. So we've sort of always been in it and we really lead the area in that in, you know, in sort of North central Vermont. Now Waterbury followed that model and said, Hey, we want to do this. And again, it's about affordability and accessibility. You know, you buy your kid 500 bucks worth of skis a year, or you spend 120 on a set for the whole season in their set. So it's about sort of leveling that playing field so that everyone can ski. So we brought that with us and that was sort of the backbone of the winter game. As far as the other gear that we stock, you know, in Waterbury, we really have had to take our cues from the customers and really feel out what they were interested in because we didn't know the customer base that well. Ryan and Chuck both live here, but they weren't doing business here. And I don't live here, nor was I doing business here. I know what the people in Morseville want, um, but I don't know what the people in Waterbury want. Um, and it's a business model where you definitely have to sort of take the cues of the customer, listen to what people are asking for, look at what people are buying, figure out what the need is, which is why the businesses also in many ways have sort of diverged a little bit from each other is that they've just 
gone where their customer base is over the years. So for example, what did you think was going to work that maybe you've stopped carrying? Oh, at Waterbury? Yeah. That's a good question. You know, so there's actually not a lot that we didn't think was going to work that didn't work. Well, then what about things you've considered but haven't pulled the trigger on yet? Mm, so a good example of that is is um, the first year, you can't believe how many people just asked us for snow boots, right? Huge. And, and just like everybody was asking us for that. And lots and lots of people because there's no really good footwear place in Waterbury. So there's some people that are doing it a little and we're doing it some. The problem is we were running against both financial constraints, right? So our first year in business was the winter that wasn't like four years ago, right? Right, Three years ago. So we started behind the eight ball immediately because our sales, our first winter, you know, we opened at the end of the summer. We were really counting on that. Um, we're, we're lucky we made it with that winter because the swings between a good winter and a bad winter in Vermont are huge in terms of sales. So we were lucky that we got out of that first winter, but we had people clamoring for things like snow boots. Problem is, is when you look at buying something like snow boots, we were all not experienced in that sort of outerwear. Right. Anything that has a lot of sizes has got to be a yeah. bigger hill to climb for you guys. Yeah. And it's, it's literally like, you know, sort of the minimum barred entry is like, all right, 10 grand, you know, 10 grand is just absolute minimum that you're going to put into this to, to, to give it a go, to have enough models on the wall to have enough diversity of sizes is somebody can come in, say, I'd like to try that on in a size seven and you have the size. So in terms of space, inventory and cost, that's been the hard part of growing is figuring out what you can grow and when. And then even then you don't necessarily know what the right thing is. You know, like there's so many things that we brought in that have been huge hits like, uh, you know, disc golf. We knew people would be into disc golf. We thought we'd sell some discs. So we ordered 100 discs from Innova and said, we'll see what happens. We sold those 100 discs in like weeks. We thought it might take us months. And we were like, what? So suddenly we're ordering 500 discs at a time because that's what the market wanted from us. So that's what we chased. And same thing with like sandals. You know what I mean? Again, it goes back to the footwear. Sandals were something we could do with minimum space and without spending a million dollars to, to get into the inventory. So we did it and people have been pumped. And so we sell a ton of sandals. So we're sort of chasing what we can, when we can, as we can. It started out a little tough for us. So it's been, we've had to catch up from that. But I think playing in all the different spaces, it's a little bit less feast or famine than some of your ski shop counterparts. Yeah, that's the biggest difference between our business model and the ski shops. Well, there's two There's two big differences. One is that we're not nearly as tourist dependent because as you know, those ski shops are in the ski towns. They're in Stowe. They're in Warren. They're in Waitsfield. You know, they're in those ski towns. And we've made a conscious choice not to be in ski towns. We want to be in downtowns. And we've also cultivated the image that we serve the locals first. So there's a really strong, you know, again, it goes back to that building community aspect of it, building, you know, being a cornerstone of the community, not just a retail establishment that people happen to buy stuff from. So, you know, sort of by doing that, you become four season and uh, it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. You know, we joke with people that it's actually really hard on us because we never have a downtime. But... We don't have the highs and lows that other people do. It's a much, you know, it's a, it's a much smoother sine wave. And, you know, we don't, we have a, definitely have a better, more consistent cash flow. But you're still running a business in Vermont. 
Yeah. The folks who run a business <laughs> in Vermont tend to have opinions about running businesses in Vermont. Yeah. So if you had like two or three things, you wish that the state of Vermont would just snap their fingers and make your life easier, what would they be? Well, number one, hands down, is uh, is uh, the labor force. I mean, I know you're hearing it. I know you're talking to Stowe about what's going on at the mountains. They're really struggling right now, but it's everybody. There's not, I literally can say with all honesty, I don't think in the last five years I've talked to a single business owner that did not have a problem getting and retaining staff. It just is one of those things. There's not enough people to do the work that we have. Last quarter, what was it? We actually were one of the only states in the union to lose jobs. And it has nothing to do with availability of jobs. There are available jobs here. It has to do with availability of people. So that's that's easily number one is, uh, you know, is just getting people here um, to be able to do the work. We're all having big problems with that. Do you know how the new tax law is going to imp- uh, impact you? Uh, you know what? I don't a hundred percent cause I don't think anybody does. Um, but I actually think it's going to be good for us. The tax burden in retail is a lot harder than a lot of other small businesses because of the inventory you carry, because you're taxed on the inventory you carry. So, you know, Waterbury sports is a great example of when you build a business, you are building your inventory and accruing your inventory and you're paying tax on that inventory. So you end up being cash poor and asset rich and you pay a lot more. You're not paying tax on the money that goes in your pocket. You're paying tax on what the business makes regardless of whether you've spent that money on inventory or not. So, you know, it was a real eye opener for my partners that it's definitely really, really hard because you subsidize your business habit until you sort of level out your growth curve and figure out exactly what it is. So it's, um, it's definitely really, that's definitely a challenging aspect, but that's challenging. I mean, that's just, a, that I think, I think that would be anywhere. It's, it's retail. I think it would be anywhere that that's really challenging. Well, at least the Amazon buyers are paying taxes now on those purchases. Yeah. But speaking of online retail, when someone walks in the shop and you're pretty sure they're just checking out something before they go to backcountry.com or some website and buy it, they probably behave a certain way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you you spot them? Can you (laughs) spot this person? Yeah, of course. Of course. It's mostly how they ask their questions and what they're asking for and how they try and um, it's like how they try and get out of the conversation or their rationale for not buying it is frequently sort of kind of clear. Do you try and flip that person on the spot or do you kind of let them have their way with it and hope they learn on their own? I mean, what's the, what's the person who is that, that you probably have an anecdote of someone who you flipped on the spot who admitted they were looking at something online. They were thinking about buying it online and, and you just, you reeled that fish in. There's plenty of people that won't cop to it or... I did it to my father yeah. on behalf of you guys this summer. <laughs> remember this? Yeah, I do. do. You remember this? I do. Because he had the phone out and he was like... He, he came back and he's sending me all these links for these bikes, these companies. I don't know. I'm yeah. not a bike expert. I don't know shit you're about like, bikes. You're like, who's, who's going to repair it? Right. <laughs> who's going to repair it? It just needs to be adequate and sized right for them. And if there's something wrong with it, I need to have somebody who's not in California to help me out. Yeah. You know? And he's like, oh, well, what if we wait until blah, 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 and we'll get 10% discount? I'm like, I'll give you 30 bucks, dude. <laughs> 
And then eventually I convinced him. Yeah. And he's like, all right, we're good to go. Because we, we, we split the cost of the kids' bikes as like a, a birthday thing for the kids this, this last year. Some people are going to hear that logic and some aren't. I mean, in the end, we're all going to buy a certain amount of stuff online. I always tell people that are local, I say, you know, if you really find it online, you're a local guy. You come into my shop, you know, whatever, once a month, once a quarter. You know, a lot of people are sort of seasonal or they're one season but not another. Um, you know, I always tell people, I will never be offended if you ask me for a deal. If you're like, look, man, I saw this online for, you know, 20% off. I'll at least meet you in the middle. Yeah, then at you least know? you have a choice at it. You have yeah. a chance at it. Yeah, give me a shot, man. I, I've never I've never faulted anybody for asking me for that deal. Now, sometimes, you know, uh, you know, sometimes I'm going to straight shut you down. This is the last one I have. Tomorrow's a powder day. I cannot give you a deal on this. Someone's buying this retail in an Some, hour. Somebody is going to come in, be in here in an hour, and I can pretty much put that money in the bank. So sorry. But I, I never faulted anybody because I'm the same kind of guy. Sometimes... I asked for a deal, man. You don't go buy for you don't go buy a car and pay the sticker price immediately. Here's your cash. You know, you gotta negotiate a little. And I got no problem with that. Backcountry versus resort gear. So you guys have split boards, I think. Yep. Yep. You've yep. got a lot of touring gear. You've got a lot of tele gear. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of other of this quote unquote ski and snowboard shops are carrying a lot of that, at least outside the downtowns. You know, an Onion yeah. River does, you do, yep, yep. a power play does, yep, obviously. Yep. But then up the mountain roads and things like that, it goes down, down, down. There's less of it. Um, have you done that in response to customers, as you said? I mean, is that is that a thing where the market has led you there? Or do you think yeah. you're kind of being in front of the market by stocking that amount of it? A big part of it's being in front of the market. So you know, the biggest thing with our business model is that we have to be different. We can't just be another ski shop. We're never going to be the ski shop on the mountain road in Stowe where you go and they've got every model of Rossignol, every model of Vocal, etc. That's just not us. We are not big enough to do that. And we don't have the tourist business and we don't have the high dollar business. We're broad. We're the community sports store. We sell soccer cleats and we sell basketballs and footballs and I all know. that. I know. I come in and buy that stuff all, all that the crap. time. I know. I need shin guards right now. <laughs> yep. I need a whistle. So because of that, um, we really do go where the customers are. And, and you know, my philosophy of business, and I, I don't know anybody who's in business who doesn't employ a similar philosophy, is um, try lots of things. Kill what doesn't work. Keep what works. Right. And sometimes you just got to dump some gear that didn't work. And other times it does work. So the biggest thing is, is that we, you know, we do try and get out ahead of things. And I'm not afraid to put my money into it when it works. And in terms of backcountry, power play has always been a big Nordic place because there's nobody north of us that does Nordic. And Nordic is pretty, you know, pretty big, pretty popular. There are just hundreds of kilometers of groomed terrain on, you know, people's back, 40 and sugar bushes, etc. So as the skis got wider and metal edged and more diverse, we followed that market and sort of just kept offering what people were asking for. And as those markets expanded, now, when it started going legit AT and touring, um, Yo, we we were way ahead of anybody on Splitboard. And for a long, long time, if you went onto Volet's website, we were the only East Coast shop 
that was listed as one the as listed as a shop that does the DIY kits. So we've been doing the DIY kits for like six or seven years. And we were just putting up Craigslist ads and telling people, hey, we do these DIY kits. Or people were finding us on the Volley webpage. And we still do that. And we use that as our sort of foot in the door that allowed us to stock the accessories, etc. And by getting out ahead of that, we got the reputation as being the place. So PowerPlay sort of came locked and loaded with this ethos of, you know, not only being very broad and having a little bit of everything, but also saying, you know, we want to stake our ground in backcountry. And I think it's such a technical world that I think a lot of the ski shops early on were scared of it and didn't have the knowledge, weren't willing to invest in the knowledge. And a lot of them, you know, were just, and the price tags were high. And I think as with anything, just just like fat bikes, it's just like any big trend, people sort of want to wait around and see if it's the real deal or not and see if it has staying power. And our mantra has always been, we're going to get into it. Even if we're just dipping our toes into it, we're going to get into it and see where it leads us. And that's what led us. So when we, so we carried that to Waterbury and it's, it's been a slower expansion at Waterbury. Um, mostly because again, growing a business is, is difficult. It's expensive and difficult. So we've only been able to grow it as quickly as sort of the consumer demand has been. Um, But at PowerPlay, it's been thriving for a long time. So the nice thing about having two stores where we're at now is that we feed off each other and we help each other out. We share our inventories. They're separate businesses, but you're always a phone call away from being like, oh, Alex, you're looking at this AT binding. Tell you what, I don't have your size here, but I'm going to call up to PowerPlay and I can have it here in a day. You know, and PowerPlay's, you know, PowerPlay's like, oh, yeah, we do have that. So shared inventory allows us to be a lot, you know, allows both stores to be very broad, but not super deep because we share the depth. All right, we're going to end on some lightning round. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Tariffs are blank. Oh, scary. Humans need to relax about blank. Um, What does everybody need to chill the F out about? They need to chill out about uh, recreation, actually, ironically, because there's a lot of people who take it way too seriously. We're just out there having fun. How much eggnog could you chug if I gave you 20 bucks? Not as much eggnog as I could chug maple syrup. Have you done that? Of course I have. I'm talking about shots of maple syrup get you going in the morning. Favorite restaurant in Burlington is? I don't go to Burlington. That's like the credo of Waterbury Sports and Powerplay Sports. I don't go to Burlington. Burlington <laughs> doesn't exist over there. I mean, don't get me wrong, Alex. Chittenden County is really nice, and it's very close to Vermont, but not for me. A stick of deodorant should last how long? What's deodorant? The best original Nintendo game is slash was. Oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The original one, obviously. If you could uninvent any technology... Oh my gosh, all of it? I'm a little bit of a Luddite. Let's end on the most important one, at least for me. Sure. When you go to the Village Market Deli, what's your go-to? The Village Market Deli? Oh man, we love the chicken wing bar, man. So good. It's so good and affordable. I'm so glad I don't live closer. I'm so glad I don't live closer to the Village Market Deli. If I did, I would weigh 30 pounds more. Thanks for coming by, Caleb. You're welcome, man. It's a pleasure. And it's rant time. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Person who bought a pass with blackout dates. 
guess what? Those dates arrive and your pass will be blacked out. If you decide to go bitch about your blackout dates on the pass you bought with blackout dates, you are making a fool of yourself. There are plenty of things in the world to bitch about. Pick something else. End of rant. Okay, that was a fun chat. Next up, I think, will be Mike DeBonis from the Green Mountain Club, but I'll hold until after the holidays to drop that one in the feed. So you've got a couple weeks to binge either deep into the archive or at least the full scope of the local format, which started at episode 55. Remember, you can call 802-560-5003 to leave a question or a rant or whatever, or just hit me up via email at alex at wintrymixcast.com. But the coolest thing to do right now is support the new podcast mission of pooling our spare change to donate to local causes. It's going to be fun when we cut our first check on behalf of the listeners of the Wintry Mix podcast. And it might not be that far away. Patreon.com slash WintryMixCast. Chuck me a buck. And you'll get a sticker. Also a heads up that you'll now see some Wintry Mix and or Xander bass depth on VTSkiAndRide.com. We're helping each other out, so sign up for free digital subscriptions to Vermont Ski and Ride magazine at vtskiandride.com and look for print copies at your local outdoor retailer, bars, coffee shops, etc. Follow on social at Wintry Mixcast, or better yet, share an episode and tell a pal about the pod if they've been missing out. But before we say goodbye, remember how I said Caleb dislikes pennies? In 2012, he stopped using them at PowerPlay altogether. Apparently, it costs 2.41 cents to make a penny. So Caleb took a stand, and I think it continues to this day. That whole story in a second. News Channel 5's Jack Thurston tells us why. At PowerPlay Sports in Morrisville, Vermont, Caleb Magoon's price gun still spits out labels that end in 99 cents. But when he goes to the cash register, nothing in there. He has no pennies inside. We don't actively go out and get pennies in order to give people the appropriate change. Starting this month, the sporting goods store is rounding its change to the nearest nickel in the customer's favor. If you're owed a dollar sixty-three from a cash purchase, you now actually get back a buck sixty-five. The most I could possibly lose on any transaction was four cents. It's his way of suggesting the U.S. government follow Canada's lead and stop production of the coin that costs the mint nearly two and a half times more to produce than it's worth. My friends started a theater company, sort of a collaborative theater company, four or five of us, and they invited me to be along. And uh, this is another place where you can find some good good material on YouTube. So we called ourselves Orpheo Group. And we were doing a very small number of shows uh, that were really high production value, but we would only do like one a year. And you can actually find the trailers of the shows we did on, on YouTube. They're, they're sort of interesting. Out of context, they'll be totally like crazy. So-